Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 71 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be releasing part one of two of the previously unreleased sections of the podcast that were exclusive to Patreon backers. Now, I did discuss in the 100,000 download celebration episode sort of why I'm doing this. If you want a detailed explanation, you can check that out. But basically, I just felt that the Patreon backers and those supporting the podcast, such as my sponsors, um, I felt like it would make sense that the full podcast was available to all people, not just portions made private for for certain people who could uh, afford to support it. So if you're not familiar with what the lightning round is, it's a set of seven short questions, well, six sometimes, and I've recently added a new one actually, but six to seven short questions, which I ask every guest if we have time at the end of the conversation. Um, At the end of today's episode, I'm also featuring a section that I included in episode 65, which was uh, sort of my Clarinet Fest wrap-up episode, and I did share my thoughts on how to get to Clarinet Fest to and from on a budget for for students or anyone else who is trying to travel with uh, limited resources. So today's episode will feature episode 68 with Brad Bain, episode 67 with Charles Nydick, and we'll get to it right after this short message from our sponsor, Diderio Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds. So Brad, um, the first question is, if I were to go have a look at your music stand right now, what would I find on it? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, the next concert program, I actually uh, just got the folder and it's got some some notes on there that I need to reacquaint myself with. So that's the first thing. Uh, what is the rep? Um, uh, Hinnemet Symphonic Metamorphosis uh, and uh, Barber Violin Concerto and something else by Ligeti. I don't remember what the name of it is, but it's got a lot of noodles in it. So um, I'm, Atmospheres? I'm, uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I just, I just know that I got to practice it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then underneath the folder, I've got a couple of duet books, which I like to play, uh, whenever I've got friend in town. Um, and the Behrman scales, those, those are always on my, on my, my stand. And, um, uh, I think the Rose etudes, I haven't been, admittedly, I haven't played them in a little while, but, um, those speak to me. Got a big music stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typically the music that I'm practicing on always falls off because there's barely any shelf space. Fair enough. What album or piece of music changed your life irreversibly? Oh, when I was in high school, I got two albums. Can I give you two? Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 were, they were records. One was the Mar- um, Marcellus performance of the Mozart clarinet concerto. I don't even know it was on the other side of that record. I can't remember. Might have been the 
Mozart's Symphonia Concertante or something like that. But the the Mozart concerto, Marcellus, George Zell recording is the definitive. It was then, and I think it still is. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, I would eventually become a student of Marcellus's. So his that record spoke to me in a very profound way. The other one was um, uh, Harold Wright playing uh, the Mozart clarinet quintet. So two Mozarts. I, I do love Mozart. Mozart was a big influence on me. I, I What can I say? I love the appoggiatura. <laughs> <laughs> Great answers. Um, if you could meet any composer or musician from any time period, alive or, or, or no longer with us, uh, who would it be and why? Well, I'm such a clarinet geek, I have to go to Harold Wright. I grew up in Massachusetts where the Boston Symphony is. It's one of the greatest concert halls in the world. And Harold Wright was the clarinetist during my formative years on the clarinet. And I used to hear him on radio broadcasts as well as I was privileged enough. My parents took me to the symphony and I heard him live. And unbeknownst to me, he just was, he was a clarinet player and that's the way the clarinet should sound. Well, later on, I, you know, as I heard more clarinetists, I learned that he was a very special man, a very special player with a very special approach and sound. And that would become the greatest inspiration to me. And if I could, uh, sit down and geek out with reeds and mouthpieces and clarinet and and hear him face to face um, at this point in my life, it would be extremely special for me. So while we're kind of back in time, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? Pause as I think. I wanted (laughs) to say, be yourself. But I worry that when I was 20, I didn't really know who I was as a musician yet Mm. because, because I needed 20 more years to let what I learned imprint, um, or unfold, unwind. So, um, that 20 year old self. Yeah. I, I, will stay with it though. Be yourself, be strong and, um, and remember the good stuff that you learned from your teachers. Yeah. I guess be yourself, but adapt to yourself Mm. in a way. Is Is that kind of what you mean? I think so. I'm not sure I know what I mean anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you mean. I think I get it. Okay. <laughs> if you could play any instrument other than the clarinet, which one would it be and the why? Oboe. Oh, the oboe. Wow, that's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Uh, because I love the oboe. I think the oboe is such an expressive instrument. A good oboe player is an inspiration to me. Um, Mark Lifshee's playing. Every time I hear it, it just makes me so excited. Uh, he's gone now. But um, I also think of the oboe. Remember I mentioned concentration and focus being everything, the seed that starts the clarinet tone. And I think that the oboe is inherently a focused and concentrated sounding instrument. And that speaks to me. And so I'll go so far as this is going to take more than one minute. I'll try to be brief. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, I'll go so far as to say that the, that when I speak with clarinetists uh, on the mouthpiece thing, um, the first thing I want to do is get inside their head. What are they looking for? Are you looking for an E or an O or an A? What is your vowel sound? Well, for me, the sound has to be 
there are two resonances. There's the horn resonance, the O, and there's the oboe resonance. E. And so you take those two things together and you blend them and you get clarinet. We'll start with the E and I'll go to O. So if we bring, if we dial from the horn back down to the sweet spot, which is right down in the middle. That's the sound that I'm looking for, where you have a beautifully integrated combination of the two, the big resonance, the big, the O of the horn and the concentrated focal center of the nini of the oboe. And the oboe, again, is such an artistically sweet and, and, and um, expressive voice in the orchestra. I find it to be very inspirational. That's such an interesting answer. I appreciate the demonstration, too. I felt exactly what you meant. Very Good. Cool. I wasn't sure very, if it was coming. Across yeah, yeah, it was very cool, actually. Um, so the last question here is, what is one book that all clarinetists should read? I don't think there is one. Not even just like to, to help them, you know, artistically or. Yeah. Or, or let's change it. What I, is your favorite book? Yeah, I don't have one. Okay. I, you know, th- that's the thing. I've I've read a lot of the old books when I was in college. I read, you know, um, the acoustic um, Benaid books, uh, the and you skim through a lot of it was beyond me. And um, and then there was the Jack Brimer book and and Stubbins book. And, and basically, I took the stuff that was good, you know, the stuff that meant something to me, and I discarded the stuff that that wasn't meaningful to me. And it just sort of added up all of these different books uh, to create um, a basic kind of impression. But the biggest the biggest book for me is the book of life and experience. And I, you know, goes back to that conversation I had with my my student, my old student friends, you know, what was this, you know, what was the stuff that Hasty and Marcellus didn't teach me? Mm-hmm. And you know the 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 ripple effect that you know the the resonance to that statement is that oh but there's so much more than what anybody ever learned or you know from a teacher or anybody read from a book you know the art of clarinet playing cannot be taught from a book yes yeah no and I think I, we definitely I should be sounding like a cynic about it I but yeah. you know frankly I you know lately I've <laughs> I've I've wished I've had more time to read and to enjoy that side of life. Um, but instead I've been having a ball on the bench of practical, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the knocks of life that come from the job have, haven't been knocks at all. They've been a, a thrill. As mentioned, that was Bradford Bain from episode 68. And if you haven't checked out the full length episode for that one, definitely make sure you do show. He shared some absolutely incredible insights into his working method and uh, his life as a player and uh, even just as a human being. Really great guy. And I absolutely am really, really enjoying his new mouthpiece. So uh, next up is Charles Nydick, who, again, just shared extremely insightful information. This was from episode 67 of the podcast. And I hope you enjoy his responses to the lightning round. If I were to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find on it? Uh, you would find, in fact, uh, Elliot Carter duet, which is called Hyoko, for two clarinets, because we're going to have to play that very soon. <laughs> Fair enough. What piece of music or album changed your life indefinitely? Oh, that is something I cannot 
uh, answer in one minute because there are there are many that I can think of. <laughs> but I have to say that my my father, who was a wonderful clarinetist and a wonderful musician, was very interested in new music, and probably uh, one of the earliest recordings when I was not even a teenager was a recording of Stravinsky's Les Nos. Mm -hmm. That's a cantata for for four pianos, percussion, uh, solo singers, and chorus. And that really, I thought, was so amazing, that piece that I think that gave me my initial spur to curiosity about new things. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting insight. Um, I, I know that um, we didn't talk much about your musical upbringing, but I do know that you started with several other instruments and then chose clarinet, so this might not be the greatest question for you, but if you could play any instrument other than clarinet, which would it be and why? Oh, it would be the piano, although I do play the piano. <laughs> but the what? piano is my hobby. I would say that I would, would uh, play the, I would play that, uh, you know, as a serious professional instrument hmm. if, if I were not playing the clarinet. Uh, and the other instrument I would play would be the viola. The viola, oh interesting. Yeah, which, which I also uh, studied. Yes. So, but uh, I was never very good at it, but it was, you know, good enough to play in my high school orchestra. Wow, so you've had a lot of different, so, uh, what about other yeah. than the three that you have played? Uh-huh. Well, that's actually very interesting because I would love to play some folk instruments like uh, the Armenian duduk, oh, for instance. Very obscure. Be <laughs> yeah, it's very obscure, but incredibly beautiful instrument. Yes. Uh, and it's played always with circular breathing. Always? Yeah. Interesting. It's a very, very interesting. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, uh, something like that. Or, or their their Indian classical instruments. I would love to play. I would more uh, gravitate toward these kind of folk instruments. Very interesting. If you could go back in time and meet any person, musical or otherwise, who would it be and why? Oh, God! You have very difficult questions. <laughs> Planned this way on purpose. I tell you, probably it. I would say Beethoven. Beethoven. Yeah. I mean, first, my first thought was Mozart, of course. I mean, for the clarinet. And, uh, although maybe I, I would, I would revert to Mozart again because Mozart experimented with combinations of clarinets and basset horns at the end of his life. And I think that he was trying to find a combination of clarinets which would function like a string quartet. And I would love to go back in time and encourage him. Interesting. So that we would, talk to him about that. Yeah, would have one major, if he would have written one major work for, for a combination of clarinets and basset horns, I think uh, the history of, of wind music would be different in the world. We're going to go over a minute here, but in what way do you think that well, those instruments would have gained more prominence? Yes. Yeah. I think that, that they would have gained more prominence. And th just as the string quartet has become 
you know, such a preeminent chamber group, uh, this combination that Mozart would have uh, uh, formed, would have found, would, would have become uh, something like that as well. Because what we, we don't realize so uh, easily is that just about everything that Mozart did was in a certain sense revolutionary in that no one had quite done it before. And with the string quartet's a little bit different because you had at the same time Haydn writing mm-hmm. and, and Mozart. But before them, you don't really have string quartets. Yeah. Even. yeah. So this is the beginning of something that that be, became uh, incredibly uh, the important foundation of, of Western chamber music. You know, for this question, I should almost open up other timelines. Uh, one of the most interesting answers I got to this one on the podcast, I can't remember who said it now, but they said they wanted to go back and meet Mozart at 50 if he had uh-huh. lived, which would have been... Right, of course. You know, they felt like he would have become um, almost Beethoven ahead of Beethoven's time. So... Anyways, um, <laughs> while we're back in time here, what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? Continue in the same direction, I have to say. That's great advice. That's, uh, uh, as I look back, that's what I, that's what I would say. And what is one book that you think everyone should read, or if maybe it's too broad, maybe a book that would help musicians on their own personal musical journey or understanding of music? Oh, well, if we're just talking about music itself, the book I would recommend would be Charles Rosen's The Classical Style. Mm. And this is uh, uh, maybe not, not the book of all time or for all time, but for a musician, I think it's a very, very important and illuminating book. Do you have a suggestion as well for more, a more general book? Uh, oh, there I have hundreds. Now this is very, <laughs> very difficult. I think uh, something like of you know the Brothers Karamazov of Dostoevsky that comes to mind immediately. And also uh, Wittgenstein's philosophical investigations. Hmm. Wonderful. I'll put links to those. Two different show. kinds of uh, totally different kinds of things. Yes. But, uh, uh, I think Wittgenstein is very important to to learn how to think. I really love Charles Nydick's take on a lot of stuff, especially his sort of philosophy towards music. And if you did check out that episode, he was talking about his upcoming Wah concert series that was going to be happening in New York City. And the first concert from that series has already occurred. So if you are in New York or you're traveling there in the next few months, make sure to check out his website and the original show notes for episode 67, where we do discuss this at length. So finally, I'd like to bring you a little bit of a discussion I had on episode 65 uh, about how to get to and from Clarinet Fest on a budget, assuming you are in the States or in some relatively nearby country. Um, I did travel to several Clarinet Fests now, once as a student and twice on a rather limited budget, and this was my thoughts. So traveling to Clarinet Fest on a budget was a topic that has come up several times. I I encountered several people on Facebook who were saying things like, oh, I really wish I could have gone to Clarinet Fest, but I just can't afford it, and all sorts of different things. And 
The fact of the matter is, if you are a student and you have some friends and a means to get there other than flying, you can probably do it on a very, very good budget. Now, unfortunately, I'm in Canada, so I'm unable to drive with a bunch of friends in a car. But for my first clarinet fest, when I was a student, it was 2007 or 8 out at Vancouver. And that was actually a very interesting time because if I recall correctly, a lot of the Bakun stuff had just been released. Bakun was or is in Vancouver, and uh, it was sort of just an interesting ultra-Canadian experience. I remember watching also at sort of the, the campus bar, Tom Pawalski was playing across the street and, and they're doing some klezmer music. It was just a really laid-back, wonderful time, and the performances were all in the Chan Center. So anyways, that's a lot about that. But the fact of the matter is, I traveled there extremely cheaply because me and a couple other friends piled in the car and drove out to Vancouver at the cost of basically a tank of gas. And then what we did was we stayed at the UBC residence for, I think it was like 15 or $20 a night. And then you just ate as you know responsibly as you could. And you can do the whole trip very, very reasonably. Um, when I went to Lawrence, Kansas last year, same thing. I, I wanted to go down there really on a budget. The podcast was new. Um, I wasn't quite sure which direction it would go in. I wasn't quite sure if people would care, <laughs> honestly. And um, But I wanted to go down there and, and take it all in for myself. Again, it had been quite some time. And so I, I did the same thing. I stayed in the, the residence at, at the um, uh, Lawrence University. I can't remember the exact name of it right now. But uh, I stayed in the residence there. $20 a night. I ate all the meals I could in the residence um uh, dining hall kind of area for six dollars you could get like a coffee and a breakfast and it was just fantastic really really great food actually that southern ish sort of hospitality i guess <laughs> really does have some meaning and uh but you know so we're talking like 40 50 dollars a day if you're really frugal um given the value of not only getting to try all the products i was talking about but you know meeting people connecting Looking back and memory, having the great memories of it, I just think there's it's a fantastic investment in your career as a clarinetist. So travel with friends in a car if you can, and stay at the university if you can. Um, that's close by. A lot of universities actually rent out the um, that their campuses for the summer. Um, this doesn't apply. Just this is just good advice, anyways. Actually, <laughs> I travel like this a lot. I went to Montreal last year to see Radiohead. And stayed in downtown Montreal for like 30, 30 or 40 bucks a night at the uh, Concordia University, which was just awesome. So, um, by the way, if anyone's wondering what happened to that interview with Lori Friedman, there was a problem with my microphone and um, it just didn't work out great. So it just never got released. So I'll have to talk to her again at some point and see if we can we can do another conversation. But uh, anyways. I know what you're thinking, and that is, what if it's like this year where there's no university close by and the best you can do is to stay at the hotel? Well, that's where the friends also come in. I mean, if you're willing to split a bed or a room with somebody, the, the rooms at the uh, at the event here were not cheap. I think it was around 100 and something, maybe $160 US a night, which for me just kills me with the exchange rate. But, but anyways, if you pack three or four people into a room, you're talking again, you're down to the $40-ish range per day, which um, is not completely unreasonable. And, you know, maybe there's even other ways to do this if you can think of someone close by who lives uh, in the city. But uh, I would caution against that. A lot of people, they can become a little too frugal. 
and then they're just wasteful of their time. Um, at Clarinet Fest, you're going to want to be networking. You're not going to want to be trying to navigate public transit at six in the morning to get to a session, then miss it. I mean, you came there for the session, you came there for the events, you came there for everything. You should really try and either stay on site or as close as humanly possible. So, um, the other thing that you want to think about, and if, if money is really an issue, if you're really wondering how you can get there, this is something I also did last year, volunteer. They will, or they have the past couple years, I don't, I don't want to, you know, put words in their mouth, but I believe this will continue, but the International Clarinet Association will actually give you a festival pass in exchange for volunteering. Now, this has significant value. It's worth around 200 and something dollars, right? So... You have to volunteer between 10 and 20 hours, but it's great to put on your resume. Um, what a wonderful thing to say. You went to another city and volunteered for an international conference. Like, that's really a great thing at, at any point in your career to put on your resume. And then you get to take in, you know, as many things as you would like, really. I mean, as long as you can fit them around your volunteering schedule, you're totally good to go. Another great benefit of that is that you'll meet people. Um, I was going out there. I was staying with Eric Salazar, Eric Salazar, which honestly was a bit of a gamble because we'd never met in real life before just through the podcast. But uh, we got along just great and uh, split a room at the dorm. But then I also met some really fantastic other people who I honestly otherwise would probably not have met if it hadn't been for the volunteering. So I don't know. There's some great travel tips for getting to Clarinet Fest on a budget. Basically, Get some friends to pile in, clarinet friends, clarinet nerd friends, whatever you want to call them. Pile into the car, share the room if you can, eat cheaply, and volunteer. You could honestly get to a clarinet fest for under $500, even if it's across the country, um, if you live in the States. Well, that's it for today's episode of the podcast. Be sure to tune in next time where I'll be sharing the lightning rounds from Ricardo Morales, Eugene Mondi, and actually I'm going to be answering the lightning round questions because I realized that I don't think anyone's asked them of me yet. And uh, I want to kind of give a sneak preview of the AMA episodes, which means Ask Me Anything, which will be exclusive to Patreon backers going forward. There's some other bonus content that will be on there. And I want to thank our latest backers, Alfonso Chen, Brett Pimentel, and Anders Nelson for helping support the show. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast. Detailed show notes can be found at clarinet.com. If you find that you're enjoying the podcast and that you do find it valuable, please consider supporting it to the degree that you do find it valuable. If you want to treat it like an extra cup of coffee once a week or once a month or maybe an extra read, you can do this at www.clarineat.com Patreon. Your support is truly appreciated and helps me continue to produce the podcast into the future. The podcast is also brought to you by our sponsor, Daddario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds.